Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer, and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around. You're in the right place. Before we get started, a quick word about our sponsor, Offer to Close. Offer to Close is a transaction coordinator service helping agents get more transactions from contract to close. Spend less time doing the paperwork and more time on your business. Learn more at OfferToClose.com. If you're listening to the show, then you know tech is changing all industries and fast. The rental property industry is not immune to this at all. And thanks to our sponsor, XBased, for helping us shine a light on all the services and companies out there changing the real estate landscape. Go ahead and learn more at xspaced.com. That's X-S-P-A-C-E-D.com, Xspaced, the future of rentals for landlords and tenants. All right, I cannot be- wait to begin today's show. Uh, I think you're going to be really impressed. We have Noel Christopher, an SVP with Renters Warehouse, joining us today. They manage over $3 billion worth of real estate across the United States, all single family homes. They've got an incredible approach. They are insanely systemized. Uh, I think you're gonna learn a lot from today's episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what you're about to hear. Hey, Noel, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, great, happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking aside the time to to talk through a few things, real estate with us. Let's go ahead and get started with the basics, though. Uh, Why don't you let everyone know who you are and what you do? I am Noel Christopher with Renters Warehouse. I'm the Senior Vice President of Corporate Development. Renters Warehouse is a national property management company focusing on the single-family rental asset class. We manage about 22,000 single-family homes for 14,000 investors in 40 markets. We're corporately owned. We manage all of these homes uh, through a centralized uh, management process, which requires a lot of technology and, and uh, it's pretty complicated actually, uh, with, with boots on the ground in all of our markets. I run all of our property management acquisitions where we buy property management companies, as well as our strategic alliances with companies uh, like Remax for a referral program or lenders and insurance companies, and some of our technology initiatives and strategic initiatives that we're trying to implement as a company. Well, so you've got a lot of free time. You kind of work two, three days. <laughs> you got a four-hour work week, right? Right, right. I actually have the privilege of being able to work remotely, So, oh, uh, but I travel quite a bit. I yeah. travel quite a bit. So, well, well, I'd love to just touch on this a little bit because obviously you are working in many different fields. So you're talking about tech and you've got partnerships and you're, you're doing acquisitions, but you're still property management. What was the career path that got you there? What does that look like? Yeah, interesting enough. Uh, so I was in commercial real estate. I started out, I actually started out in real estate. I was a sales trainer for Tom Hopkins back in the day. I don't know if you're familiar who Tom Hopkins is, but I used to travel around the country and promote his seminars and give sales training seminars. Uh, Chicago was one of my markets. I ended up uh, living in Chicago for about almost uh, about 17, 18 years. And I got started in commercial real estate, got into, uh, started working with a private equity firm where we were, uh, where they were uh, acquiring real estate brokerages in the Chicago market and growing a real estate brand there. And I was involved with that and, and started getting involved with uh, the institutional funds 
in 2012 that were acquiring single family homes. So that's really real, where I cut my teeth on the SFR industry. And I was involved in acquiring, you know, thousands of single family homes in Chicago area, as well as all over the country, did some consulting for some funds. Uh, we were doing everything from, from the initial door knocking on the foreclosure auction to uh, uh, buying the houses, helping with the rehab, getting them tenanted, doing all those aspects. And I, and I learned a lot and, and really kind of uh, became relevant in the industry that way. I mean, doing just all those transactions, you become such an expert. Um, about four years ago, I moved to Colorado with my family. I was ready to get out of uh, Chicago. Uh, Colorado is where I grew up originally. And I started working with a company called Rent Range and Investability uh, for just as a consultant. And that got me into meeting uh, the private equity group that is now owns Renner's Warehouse. So I started as a consultant at Renner's Warehouse and uh, that's grown into a full-time job. And now I've, you know, kind of got wow. my market with the company and we're buying other companies and doing a lot of different things. So it's great. It's great to be part of a uh, disruptive uh, industry that's happened. There's a lot of disruption in the industry. We're a disruptive company and to be part of that. And, and, and it just, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, I, I asked this question, this is not one of my normal questions, but I asked it specifically because, you know, I did a little background research on you and I was like, man, this guy has got a past. He has cut his teeth. He's been deep in the trenches. Uh, and I imagine, you know, that level of expertise, kind of like you said, like you have to know how the transactions really work no matter what tech or systems you're going to put on top of it, because it can get complicated real fast. And if you're not anticipating that, you know, that's where, where things can kind of uh, go crazy on you. Um, let's, let's, let's really dive right in here. I'd love to hear from you. What do you perceive or what is uh, talked about at Renner's Warehouse? What is the big problem that you guys are really focused on solving at the moment? Well, I'll kind of give you a little bit of a story or uh, an example. When I was in Chicago, we worked with a lot of funds and uh, a lot of these funds would come into Chicago and they'd say, okay, we're going to buy single family homes. And, and, you know, a side story to that is you never wanted to be the first broker to work with them or the first group to work with them. You'd let them go through the heartache and then come, come as a second. But uh, one of the things we noticed is we had some funds that either, you know, like an invitation homes, they internalize all their property management. So they, they solve that problem. But a lot of these smaller funds would go out and they would source property management companies in different markets. Mm. And even if they went with a brand that, let's say it's a franchise that had uh, offices all over the country, which is what we used to be like, uh, there, would, there was a, a disconnect in the level of service across different markets. So you would have maybe a franchise in Chicago and a franchise in Arizona, and they did things totally completely differently. They had different types of operations. And so I think what, when the uh, private equity group, Northern Pacific Group acquired Renner's Warehouse, they really saw that uh, if you could roll up a lot of the franchises, because Renner's Warehouse was a franchisor from 2008. Uh, it's been, been, been around for a while, but they had all these different franchises and started rolling up these franchises. And so really what we're trying to solve is a couple of things. Property management business is very fractured and the level of service is very low. Yeah. Um, there are some, some very talented and, and great property management companies localized, uh, but they're far and few between, uh, as well as uh, all of these different companies and all of these different property management companies in different markets. If there's a way to tie them together with the same level of service, uh, 
that's consistent across different geographies is a great opportunity, especially as the prices have gone up, the yields have started to get started to get squeezed, and you can't really go. It's harder to go into a market and say, I'm going to buy 500 homes or 300 homes or even 100 homes. But you can go into 10 markets and buy 10 homes. And so we're, we're doing a couple of different things, that consistent level of service, a centralized model, scaling, becoming more efficient, being able to charge a little bit less and keep that same level of service. Uh, it's really it, the single family rental asset class is one of the last large uh, real estate asset classes to be institutionalized. Yeah. Uh, you've got single family rental asset classes, a $3.1 trillion asset class. Multifamilies, 3.4 trillion. I mean, we're, it, it's, it's a, it's been this, uh, mom and pop industry that is very large. And now it's, it's being disrupted. It's being disrupted, uh, on, on the service side, it's being disrupted on the large funds coming in and buying and, and, and uh, it, you know, the lending, it's all being institutionalized. It's a great thing. And now there's a lot of pushback and there's a lot of uh, fear in the industry of same things happening right now in the uh, real estate brokerage industry. You've got these flat fee service companies like Purple Bricks, uh, Purple Bricks coming in. You've got all these different models and it really causes a lot of disruption, but it's, 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 uh, it's the evolution of business and the, and the marketplace in all the different asset classes. Just single family rentals have been a little bit uh, far behind to catch up. Yeah. Uh, there's so much in there that I want to try and pack, unpack. Sure. <laughs> so much in there, but let's, let's, we'll, we'll keep it moving forward because some of that we're going to naturally jump into. So you alluded Absolutely. to a little bit about the size of what you guys are working with. You said 14,000 investors, 18,000 homes is what you said. Yeah, uh, it's worth 22,000. Oh, 22,000. Okay. Okay. And 40 markets. Okay. Yep. And uh, so I pulled a, a little quote from the website, which looks like maybe it needs to get uh, updated. You guys have been growing faster than you yeah, can update maybe. the website. Yeah. <laughs> what's, the, what's the total value of all the real estate you guys are managing at this moment, at this point? Uh, it's in the three, it's in the 3 billion plus range, I believe. Three billion. And it's a, it's a 3 trillion uh, dollar, uh, right. Asset class. So, I mean, you guys are just, so, you're, and you're the biggest, right? We're the biggest corporately owned third party. There are some larger franchisors, okay. uh, like an RPM or a PMI, but that okay. is centrally managed. I mean, just think about this. There's just single families, not even one to five. A lot of times I like to include the one to five units mm -hmm. in the small uh, investment space. Cause I don't consider a four unit building a multifamily. Uh, right. just in the single family, there's 17 million single family renters, rentals, rental homes, single family rental homes. Yeah. 50% of those, approximately 50% of those are owned by, by somebody who owns one home. 80% are owned by those who own five or less. So wow. it's a very mom and pop space. I, I really, there's a lot of different theories of why that is. I think a lot of it has to do with the lending that was out there previously. So you really, it was really hard to build a portfolio and get financing and leverage it. Now it's yeah. getting easier. A lot to do with the Fannie Mae loans where you hit, had it limited to eight properties and even five, yeah. it's hard to get to. So the, the space, and, and if you add one to five units, you're at 22 million. Um, and it's growing. There's a large demand. There's going to be new households uh, started, and a lot of them are going to be rentals. There's, I mean, there's about seven million rental households were formed, uh, rental homes were formed from the downturn, and I, I really don't think that's going to shift back too much. It's going to fluctuate a little bit in that 50% home home ownership rate, 
but there's a there's a lot of demand and there's a lot of millennials. I mean, we're seeing a lot of millennials that we rent to that own investment properties, and they're they're That's they're amazing. very. Uh, <laughs> there you go. You can uh, you can rent and own an investment property and live wherever you want. Uh, yep. You're becoming more transient. Uh, you can work remotely. I'm a prime example. I work remotely. I'm an executive in our company and I'm, I travel all over, but I work remotely and I can live where I choose and uh, own investment properties and rent or do whatever you want. So there's, it's the, the dynamics changing and uh, it's changing in, in a lot of that, you know, same thing with the real estate brokers, that whole dynamics changing the buyer, the person, the, the, the entrepreneur and same with the turnkey business, turnkey yeah. rental business. Uh, I know you've had some guys from Rootstock on there too. I mean, yep. what they're doing, it's becoming more professionalized, more institutionalized. And that's a good thing for everybody. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I kind of laugh when I see all the articles talking about a problem with millennials and Gen Z not wanting to buy homes. I'm like, this is great. I got yep. I got 30 some years before my retirement and <laughs> then my mortgages will be paid off and then I got an ongoing customer base. I'm not mad about it. So it's all good. Yeah. So to manage that kind of business, you guys have to have some sort of serious tech stack to, to, to be able to systemize and, and really streamline what you're doing. Kind of like we were saying, like still deliver high value service, uh, but be able to pull back on the fees because, you know, right now, like you're saying, yields are being squeezed uh, out in, in a lot of major markets. Um, uh, kind of two questions, you know, are you guys building all your own custom software solutions? And, uh, or uh, are you also using off the shelf solutions? And if so, uh, what are you guys using? So it's been quite a, quite a journey. Um, there aren't really any off the shelf solutions that work to manage this many homes for a variety of clients because we manage homes for a lot of clients that own one home. And then we also manage homes for clients that own a couple of thousand. So you need the reporting and, and, the, and that institutional level reporting that let's say like a Yardi would provide, but Yardi's not set up for all those different owners. And then an Appfolio would be set up for all those different owners, but they're not set up to service the larger owners uh, mm. so, or the larger portfolio holders. So we, we've gone back and forth in the last couple of years of, of dipping your toe into should we develop our own platform? Should we take an existing platform and, and mold it to what we want? I think in the past, what, what we were doing, because, you know, granted, we were a franchise. We were a franchisor. So we had, uh, we, when the private equity group acquired the whole franchisor, acquired a couple of the largest franchises and used, used those franchises as the base of the operations and quickly realized that, that what they needed to manage 5,000 homes wasn't going to work for 15,000 or 20,000. So those processes and systems have been constantly changing. And what we're doing now is we're going full in on Salesforce. So we're going full in on Salesforce, uh, which will enable us for a lot of, a lot of different reasons to be very flexible in our model, to be able to change our model, to be, uh, uh, to, to work with other strategic alliances, partnerships, acquisitions, mergers, whatever you want to call it, help on evaluation, uh, and and we're, we've, what we did is we actually are taking a model from a couple of large multifamily property managers who mm -hmm. use Salesforce. Mm -hmm. we were, already, we're already using Salesforce on the sell side, on the lead side, and managing that process and the CRM, sell side, lead generation, all that marketing cloud. And now we're going to be using it for managing our properties. So we're taking a lot of different systems and 
putting them all into one. I mean, it, you know, currently we wow. could we could say we're using we have a uh, and I don't really want to go into too much we're using, but we're we're using a you know off the shelf property management uh, platform and we're using them mostly for processing payments. And then we've got a twelve different types of platforms plugging into that. And then what you realize is that you create processes that become set in stone that are actually workarounds of an inefficient process. So you have to strip all that down and really spend the time to figure out what is the right way? What's the right, what's the right way to manage? And what we've realized is that there's a lot of different ways to manage. It's not necessarily rocket science. And what we're doing now to manage 22,000 homes, it might be totally different to manage 40,000 or 50 or 60 or 100,000 to where we want to get to. So we need a platform that we can be very flexible, that doesn't yeah. have processes that are, that are, that are set, that we can, we can, you know, that we can really move it around and, and Salesforce is something you can do that with. Yeah. If you, if you do it right from the beginning, that's the key. <laughs> yeah. I know that uh, Salesforce has quite a bit of uh, capabilities. Um, I've worked with a few Salesforce administrators over the years in uh, configuring and, uh, you can do a lot of really fun stuff, but it also can get really complicated and convoluted very fast. And I can see where many of the issues would arise trying to create systems around, you know, one to five property owner. And then you come across someone who has a hundred, um, they may not all work together and, you know, it might create duplicating processes and things that are redundant. Um, that's so, and, and I, I, I don't want to press you on what you're using, but I have to ask you this one question. Uh, so overstock.com, announced they're getting in the property management business. There's a lot of different platforms and popping up and pieces of technology. Um, and you don't have to specifically comment on overstock.com, but why do you think there's, you know, even Zillow recently announced they're going to be providing tools directly for property managers. Why do you think uh, a lot of these tools are just now hitting the market? Why are we seeing so much attention to these type of tools right now? Well, there's a couple of things. If you look at Overstock, you look at uh, Zillow, what they're offering, you look at Cozy. I don't know if you're familiar with Cozy. I use Cozy for mine, yeah. There you go, because you self-manage, correct? Yep. So, uh, because if you look at the population of single-family home rentals, they are focused, uh, most of the people own a home close to their, uh, close to where they live. And a lot of them self-manage. That's starting to change. As we go, as we work across uh, different geographies, uh, but those guys are, are creating the tech in place mostly to manage payments. That's the key. So a lot of it, a lot of it's to manage that payment process. Cozy right now is uh, really focused on, you know, they pretty much offer. I mean, you're not paying anything, right? For nope. Cozy, pay not, right. nothing. Right. So, for but, it. but you're paying transaction fees. And no. your tenants are paying transaction. Well, your tenants oh. are paying transaction fees. Yeah, I think my tenants might be, but I don't pay any transaction fees yeah. out of it. Right. You don't. You don't pay any transaction fee. So that's uh, that's a huge need in the marketplace. And Overstock is is their direct competitor of Cozy more than they are us. Uh, even though we do compete with the self self service, but where I where I think there's an opportunity in this whole in this whole space is that many times these uh, self when you're self-servicing your, your own properties, you might get to a certain point where you're, you're, you need help. You have an eviction issue. You need to get a property rented out. Uh, you, you get to a point where you're like, I can't deal with this anymore. And you want to move to full service. 
Right yeah. now, there is a there's still that disconnect. There isn't anybody who offers a full service property uh, or self service property management platform that can that can move into a full service or full service that can move into self service. We get people that call us all the time and say our our, our customers and say, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. And so I think there's a huge opportunity, and I think there there will be a consolidation in the future, um, in the next three or four years that will be a self-service platform with a full-service platform because there's just so many synergies back and forth. Yeah, like your, your property manager on demand. Right, I mean, it would be great to say if, if you know, you could press a button and say, I just want to get this leased and I yeah. don't want to deal with this. Hmm. Or, or I'm, tired of, I'm tired of collecting rent. Right, exactly. I mean, it's, it's there. There's an opportunity there um, and, I, and I see it coming uh, in the future along with a lot of the consolidations that are happening right now just in the property management business. That's good. We'll kind of, uh, we'll shift gears here a little bit. Um, so one, one of the things, you know, as we see all these different techs and trends and actually recently one of my tenants said to me, um, you know, that they're moving and they said, Hey, should we just send you the deposit through Venmo? And I, I was like, well, I mean, yes, I have Venmo, but let's, let's use cozy. You know, that's what's going back and forth with, but what are some other trends that you're seeing with tenants, what they want out of a house and how does that play into, how you as the asset manager and working for the, you know, the investors, how do you respond to those trends? Well, I think uh, just the banking side of things obviously is, is, you know, I mean, I think we're well above 85, 90% of all of our tenants pay electronically. And the ones that aren't are, are, are in some of the uh, lower end neighborhoods that we manage for a couple large investors that have a lot of section eight or things like that. Um, so seeing a lot of the, t the tenant experience is so important. So you have, when you're looking at property management, you've got a couple of different things. You're collecting the rent, you're dealing with the tenant on those different things. And then you're also dealing with the owner on, Hey, tenant called, there's an issue in the house. Well, what's yeah. going to happen? The, the repairs and maintenance is the number one single largest issue with property management, with investors. Uh, and how that, there's, we're seeing a lot of platforms. There hasn't been any that are quite mature enough yet, I think, but a lot of platforms that manage that process. So manage that tenant experience. It's almost like an Uber. You see the guy that's going to come, come to your house. You can rate them. You can uh, see when they're going to be here. There's no more doing the phone calls back and forth, trying to coordinate uh, when that person's going to be there. You, 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 that process is becoming more seamless, and that's where there's a lot of disruption happening right now. You've got guys like Pro uh, Property Meld, Homey, um, a couple other ones I probably don't even know about. Uh, so yeah, that, that's have, a big uh, thing. We'll have Sens Fix on the uh, on the on the on the show here uh, later uh, on the season, and they they do very something similar. There's not even uh, communication between you know the owner and property. If you know if a device breaks, it's got a sensor. It just calls the repairman. It goes to the pool. Interesting. Repairman in. Yep. So it's interesting. I think you know uh, if you look at the average upside of uh and i don't probably even know what it is but if we look at ours the average upside of an owner maybe is three to four hundred dollars a month They're very price sensitive so what works for a large fund a large institutional fund doesn't work for that for the small investor uh and i think that that tenant experience and the tenant being able to uh you know order filters you know do, do some of the basic repairs of that or basic maintenance of the house order your lawn to get get fixed order groceries whatever it is that's all those things are starting to happen. And um, it's that tenant experience is so very important. And then on the owner side, it's, 
it's an owner experience as well. For us, it's owning our data. And one of the issues we have with some of the out-of-the-box property management platforms, we don't own our data. So we want to own all of our data because there's a lot that can be done with that data on predictive analytics, uh, especially on the repairs and maintenance and setting pricing and, and, and things like that. Because you have your, your, your uncontrollable costs and your controllable costs. Controllable costs is repairs and maintenance is how quickly you turn a house, how quickly you rent the house for, what you rent the house for. Those are all things that you can control, but you're not going to be able to control your payment. You're not going to be able to control your taxes, you know, stuff like that. So yeah. it's important to, to become more efficient and little things can make a difference. I think a lot of what you just said is probably part of the answer to the, for the next question I have for you, which is, you know, why do people choose renter's warehouse? And I mean, you just outlined a bunch of things that, you know, having the right systems in place, you know, being able to automate a lot using predictive analytics. I mean, that's not typically found at a, at a local solution, but I'll let you go forth and ask, like, why would people work with you guys versus just picking a local company? Well, and, you know, it's interesting because while we've made a, or created a model and scaled into multiple markets with that same consistent service, most of our owners own within their geographic region. Uh, that's changing. You can now buy, I mean, as Roofstock is a prime example, you can now buy, you live in California and buy in, buy in uh, Dallas and, and be yeah. comfortable with it. Uh, I think that what we're offering, what we're trying to do is really create a brand and really create a service that is uh, economical in price, that high level of service, efficient, and start to squeeze down as that yield's being squeezed down, start to squeeze down the efficiencies. And that's really important. And uh, you know, we, we want to create that experience and we want, you know, we're not the white glove. We're not the guy that uh, manages a hundred doors that has a, a hundred keys on his belt and answers phones from the tenants, answers phones from the vendors, answers phones are, answers calls from the home uh, homeowner. We, we're not that, but we're trying to create a, an efficient process so that now uh, an investor can have less friction in the property management side so they can buy another house. We want to enable, we're not just about property management. We want to enable and educate all of our owners to be able to acquire more homes. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why we've done some stuff with, uh, with Rootstock in the past. So we really want to educate everyone, educate our customers on here's, here's a way you can buy more. Here's a more efficient insurance product. Here's a more efficient, uh, uh, you know, way to uh, vendors. And, you know, we, we carry a lot of weight on, uh, let's say, with like a Home Depot, for example, where we can get better pricing. And there's just so many, there's so many inefficiencies in this process that we're, we're trying to dive into each one of those. And so this year in 2018, we've really been focusing on our systems. Uh, last year, we, we had a lot of acquisitions. I can tell you in the coming year, we're going to have a lot more acquisitions. Uh, and we're really, we're really focusing on getting our systems in place so we can, act, so we can really grow uh, quite a bit faster. You know, there's not enough hours in the day to keep up with prospecting, developing new deals, inspections, open houses, just all the paperwork that comes with being a real estate agent. It, it's just overwhelming sometimes. That's why I'm excited that we've partnered up with Offer to Close. Offer to Close is a transaction coordinator service that I believe you've been waiting for. No lengthy contracts with them, no masses overhead, and you only pay when you close deals. Here's how it works. Offer to Close has transaction coordinators that are also licensed agents, so you can have full confidence in who's helping manage your transactions. 
Offer to Close helps manage your transactions from contract to close, helping you stay focused on your business rather than administrative work. I want you to go ahead, find out more at OfferToClose.com. That's OfferToClose.com, OfferToClose.com. Okay, that, that is a great segue into our next question that I had lined up for you guys. I noticed that uh, the news, you guys again made the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies. So first, congratulations on making that list again. Um, and, you know, I'm just curious, really, what do you think is the, what do you attribute as the primary growth or the primary factors that are leading to um, the continuous or consistent growth? Well, so, I, I mean, there's, there's a ton of room in this space. It's very fractured. Uh, what, what, we're, what I think we're going to see, like most spaces, what's happening in the real estate, in the real estate broker space is that the uh, smaller, I don't want to say smaller, but the less efficient, less uh, systems-focused, uh, process-focused companies, are gonna, they're going to, they get pushed out. And so we've, We've acquired a, recently as some of the smaller companies. Now we're really looking at acquiring companies that have acquired some of those smaller companies, and we acquire those medium-sized companies. It's just it's better, a little bit less friction in the deal. But we really wanted to kind of get our feet wet uh, last year, and, and we probably made about 14 or 15 acquisitions, a little bit smaller. Uh, then mistakes aren't as magnified. Um, this year, we're going to only have a couple acquisitions. Next year, we'll probably have uh, several more, but they're going to be a lot bigger. So that, that's part of our growth. Um, other part of our growth is organically. I mean, just tapping into our current user base of 14,000 investors and helping them to buy one more home. Uh, uh, working with some larger funds, uh, we've seen... You know, and it's not 2012 anymore. If companies like ourselves and some of our competitors that are also doing something similar to what we're doing, if they were around in 2012, it would be a different story. We'd be managing probably 100,000 homes. Um, so as a lot of different new money is getting into the space, operations is a big issue, and a lot of them don't want to create the internalized property management. So you're going to see a lot of a lot of larger funds start to really look at um, – companies like ourselves, or as some of these multifamily funds are getting into the space, there's going to be some multifamily operators uh, coming into the single family space. It's a whole different animal, but you're seeing it happen. So uh, we would like to be, uh, you know, continue to grow at a, at a, you know, very aggressive pace. And you know, our goal is to get to 200,000 homes under management. Wow. Uh, when we're going to do that, I don't know. It's, it's going to depend a lot on the consolidation that's going to start to happen uh, with, what what we're seeing right now is we're seeing a lot of these larger regional property management companies or larger local property management companies going out in the next uh, cities and MSAs and acquiring other companies and growing into these kind of super regional companies and they're going to be they're looking to be acquired or to merge with other other companies like themselves. So we're going to see a lot of that happening. We're already starting to see it happen. So yeah. You know, and, and I, I saw in a recent article, the uh, CEO of Compass Realty, who has been on a, an acquisition tear, uh, pretty remarkable yep. times we're, we're living in right now to watch something like that. Ruffling uh, a lot of feathers. <laughs> yeah, you know, just a, one or two here and there. <laughs> and, um, you know, they, they even went on the record to say exactly what they're willing to pay. Uh, they said they'll do four to six years uh, revenue. Well, on the, I believe it was what they said on the, and they just came out right and said, you know, this is what we'll do. And I was like, man, that, 
I can only imagine brokers just throwing up their hand at, at hearing something like that saying, well, you know, oh, yeah. oh, okay, let's, let's do that. Do you guys have numbers like that in mind when you're looking at acquisitions or is it strategic based on market? Yeah, I can. Um, it's based on market. It's based on the current business model. Uh, I, I, I can say, you know, we paid anywhere from $800 to $2,000 per door. Okay. And we really look at it per door. So I can dive into that a little bit. I mean, you, you know, we're looking at, how do they match up with us? So we're a flat fee company. So we charge anywhere from 89 to $99 a month, or actually 79 to $99 a month, depending on the market, depending mm. on the cost of that market. So in Oklahoma City is a little bit, Oklahoma City, Huntsville, uh, uh, you know, Montgomery, those types of markets are a little bit lower cost market. A Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, um, Jersey, Denver, those are higher cost markets. Those are $99 a month markets, and then you have some in between, right? So we look at how they match up. Um, how their fee structure is. Uh, I see, I've looked at hundreds of, of property management companies' books, and many of them might have, uh, you know, we really look at, you know, what their management fee is, what their leasing fee is, what their lease renewal fee is, and then we have our standard fees that we plug into anything, you know, uh, uh, late fees and application fees and all that kind of stuff. It's just, yeah. it's just plug numbers for us. But I might see, out of those three numbers, I might see, uh, an operator who has on the management fee alone charges somebody five different types, five different ways. They might charge one guy 5%, one guy flat fee, one guy 10%, one guy 12. So it's all over the board because they're trying to grow their business and they yeah. take haircuts to do that. And it hurts them on the back end on the acquisition. So my advice is if you ever want to be acquired and you have a recurring revenue business, get everybody on the same fee structure. It makes it so much easier. But uh, so we compare all of those. And we actually plug in the top line numbers, the gross, the gross revenue into our model and see how that spits out an EBITDA. And then we'll pay based off of that. And sometimes it could be EBITDA, it could be based off the revenue. Sometimes it's based off the EBITDA. Sometimes we're doing an earnout. There's a lot of different ways that you can do it. But we're really comparing the models, seeing what the risk is and uh, coming up with a number. And it's a lot of it's going to be based on that rent or fee or the renewals. I see some guys that try to group everything into their management fee and they charge a higher management fee, but they don't charge a uh, leasing fee, don't charge a renewal fee. It's not as interesting to us because we segment out those fees uh, because uh, we give our owners the option to lease the property on their own if they'd like. Um, so interesting. there's, yeah, there's a lot of different things. And so we, we can tell pretty quick and because of the way that we do it, we're looking at that top line revenue, we plug it in. I can plug those numbers in and, have an answer in a day. I mean, it's, it's pretty quick for us to underwrite wow. a portfolio. Wow. And so we're not doing a lot of post-contract due diligence. I mean, we do do our due diligence as far as making sure the leases are in place and you know, all that kind of, all those types of things. But yeah. as far as what we're going to pay per door, we can figure that out very quickly. So we're not having to look at, because a lot of property management companies are operated as a small business, you have owners that are running a lot of expenses through there. So it's pretty complicated to extract out what is actually the net revenue of, mm -hmm. of that business because they're, because they're paying, you know, it's just a small business. That's the way it works a lot of times. Yeah. Wow. That, that was much more than I, I thought you were going to give me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Let's see what we can get. And uh, that was perfect. Yeah. That was great. Um, we're, we're about to shift into, uh, uh, play a little game here, but before we jump into that, I always like to give, 
uh, every guest opportunity. Is there any one thing that you feel is really important about Renner's Warehouse that people really ought to know? Yes, and this comes up a lot. We are, we're a company that's been around for 10 years. We're just like everybody else that are trying to figure it out. While we may have some private equity money behind us, we're, 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 not, we're not a compass. We don't have, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to throw around. We have to be profitable and we have to figure it out in each market. I mean, each market's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we hire local guys in all of our markets and we're trying to figure it out just like everybody else. We just were able to take a franchise and roll these up and figure out a model on how to scale and how to do it efficiently. And we're not, we're, we're not even close to where we can be on the efficiency side. So uh, we're, we're like everybody else. We're, we're not a big, bad company that's coming in and gobbling up everybody. We're, we're, we're very strategic in what we're doing. And uh, we are, you know, really focused on that experience of that, that person to person user experience. Yeah. You know, and just a few of the things that you said, you know, we want to help our investors buy one more property. I think that's such a unique uh, growth strategy. Clearly that is so much more difficult than door knocking until someone, you know, says, yeah, go ahead and manage my property. But the fact that you would have that vested interest to help your investors improve their portfolio, um, ultimately giving them a more uh, secure and stable business and, and income. I think that that, that, that probably speaks to the, the character of, of the way you guys do business. So I think that's, uh, that's a little one-liner I'd like to pull out for you guys because I think that's pretty cool. Appreciate that. Well, let's, let's jump gears. This is my favorite part. We're going to play a game. Uh, I call this for the future for the future is a segment when I ask each guest on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Ready to play? I'm ready. All right. Question number one, what does Renner's warehouse look like one year from now? I think of a much more efficient company uh, once we get our, uh, our sales force and everything rolled in. And I think that Renner's warehouse is going to be, I, I, it's a hard, I don't want to predict on how big we'll be, but we're going to be a lot bigger. And I think we're going to have a couple of between now and a year from now, we're going to have a couple of uh, deals that happen that are going to be uh, very notable. Okay. That's from inside, from inside knowledge. All right. Now, do I, how do I get on the scoop email list on that? Let's make sure I'm on that. Just keep in touch. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, question number two, what does the housing market in general look like one year from now? A year from now. So going into 2020, uh, I think it's funny because this is a conversation that happens all the time. And I have this conversation on, on LinkedIn with some people, uh, a, a lot. Um, I'll, I'll say this. I think that, uh, you know, I saw some stuff coming out today. They're saying, well, hold on. It's not going to be a downturn right now. Wait till 2020. I think what people are failing to, to think about is that it's much more mature marketplace than it was in 2008. There are funds and investors and groups like ourselves who've created processes that it, besides some very localized markets, I think some pricing will adjust. But there's investors that when it hits a certain number, those homes are going to get acquired. Whether it's flippers, whether it's, uh, it's long-term investors, there's a huge demand for rentals right now. Single family, professionally managed rentals that you're going to see some pri 
price dips and some adjustments, but I don't believe you're going to see a wholesale uh, downturn. So I think there'll be some adjustments. I think there's some markets that are that are out of reach right now. Um, in, in fact, I was having a conversation with somebody market up in Seattle where the flippers have stopped flipping. They're actually going back to long-term holds because their yield, their their returns are so small and the risks are so high on a flip. Denver's a market like that as well that it's better to buy at a moderate yield hoping for a little bit of appreciation, a little bit of rental rental appreciation and price appreciation, and the finances in place that it's a better play right now to buy for long-term than it is to buy to flip in a lot of these markets. So you're going to continue to see that. You're going to see uh, the housing market, I think, is is there's going to be some some dips. I think the uh, there's a lot that can happen in the economy right now, and there's no telling, but uh, I think it'll still be pretty stable a year from now. Okay. When do you think the next big boom or bust will happen in real estate? A year from now? Um, <laughs> no, uh, depends who you ask. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think that there's more risk in the commercial real estate market right now than there is in the, in the single family market. I think that as, uh, you know, yes, it's very difficult for a first time home buyer to, to buy a home. Um, that's why you're seeing some of these tertiary markets uh, explode, whereas it's hard to do business in Chicago, but it's really easy to do business in Nashville and Columbus and Greenville and, you know, all those places that have opened, them, opened their arms up to, you know, to, to businesses coming in. Uh, and so I think those markets are going to continue to, to grow. And, and I think there could be some, I really worried about the pension issues. And you look at a place like Illinois and it's, uh, mm-hmm. I believe it's 85, no, I'm sorry, 35 billion or 85 billion, I think 35 billion underfunded. Uh, and, and that's, so taxes are a huge issue um, in a lot of these large metropolitan areas that cannot afford to keep doing the things the way they've done. And there's a lot of people that are my Chicago friends are going to hate me for saying that, but it's, it's a little <laughs> bit scary. Uh those are the things that are more risky, I think, than just a housing crash. I think there's going to be some markets that have some trouble because of their infrastructure and the way that they do business and mm-hmm. their pension and things like that. I think that's a higher risk on, the, on that and on the commercial side than on the um, housing side because we all need a place to live in. And you know, in, in, 28, in 2008, there, there wasn't the mature single-family rental housing market like it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was there, but it just wasn't as mature and it's going to get more and more mature. And those opportunities for uh, people like yourself that, you know, maybe look at a house and say, why would I buy this house when I can buy these other investment properties, build wealth, and then be able to live where I want to live. And so yeah. I think people are going to want to say, still want to stay mobile and, and create families. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of good opportunities, but it, I, I see more risk in the, in the, in the municipalities in the pensions and the commercial side than, than I do on the single family side. Uh, that's a phenomenal answer. And uh, question number four, what's one thing you believe will fade away or dramatically change in real estate in the near future as a result of technological advances? Well, we're seeing it. Uh, I call it the top of the funnel. So it's, you want to buy a house, do you call your local realtor or do you go online and look? You go online and start searching and then what happens next thing you know, you have Loan Depot, Quicken Loans. They contact you and say, hey, let's get you qualified and we'll put you with a realtor. That's where it's happening, that top of the funnel. 
and 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 I know that pretty intimately of their processes because we've talked to them. Uh, those that friction of the deals are changing, and you know it, it, it's going to be interesting in the real estate brokerage market and in the property management and different things. It's it's being disrupted. You've got like I mentioned earlier, Purple Bricks is a lot of people are scared of those guys because they're coming in and giving a high level service that's consistent for yeah. a low price. And, uh, you know, it's not going to affect the luxury markets, but that's why you see Compass is buying up all the luxury. They're buying all the luxury, uh, luxury brokerages because that's still much more of a white glove service. But for the average person, if you don't have to deal with somebody, you're not going to do it. Uh, I think that um, in an investing world, you still want that trusted resource, but that yeah. trusted resource could be a, uh, like a Roostocker or an Own America or somebody like that that's guiding you in that process. You don't always need that that person walking around, and we're seeing it in the rental side where there's a big shift to uh, the the um, the showings that are unassisted without a without an agent. So you can just get the code. By the time you've shown your ID and apply and uh, and gotten the code to get into the house, you've already applied for the home. Um, we still we still uh, we we don't we haven't gone that way. We we still like to have our agents walk the house with the pr- prospective renter so we can give that feedback to the owner. But um, we're seeing a lot of the the deal friction is starting to go away, and and the consumer to consumer sales. I mean, uh, next door is a prime example. One of our friends just uh, and you should if you haven't check in the next door. What they're doing is that you can now. Uh, post your house for sale on next door yep. and the neighbor down the street can go, I'll buy it. And, and, and house canary just did a, did a big deal with next door where all the valuation is there. And a prime example, one of my friends here in, in Steamboat, in Steamboat Springs, you know, they had a realtor look at all around for him. They posted on next door. Somebody said they'll sell their house. No, no, no agent was involved whatsoever. Wow. wow. And, and I, that's, you know, that's, that's happening. The next door is one of those sleep. I, I'm convinced it's a sleeping giant. It's a sleeper. And- and, you know, I remember uh, uh, early last year, I went to my team manager. I was on the Ben Kinney real estate team up in Washington. And I said, hey, what are we doing with Nextdoor? I know something's come out of this. They just opened up recommendations. And, you know, as a realtor, I went and had all my friends in different neighborhoods recommend me because I knew the minute it turned on to where I could be running ads or I could be the first one, you know, on the forefront. Yeah. I was going to be the only realtor who was doing it. And then I saw that Keller Williams came out with their – with their listings partnership with Nextdoor promoting it, they're at all the and how companies. yep yeah and, and yeah. House Canary House Canary on the analytics. Yep. Uh, I mean, I'll give you an example. When I moved to uh, I live in in Simo Springs, Colorado. I moved here a year and a half ago, and there were nobody on Nextdoor. Literally nobody. I started the whole thing, sending the postcards out, <laughs> and now there's five thousand people on Nextdoor a year and a half later. I mean, it is unbelievable how. Um, and I've had a few people come literally to my door saying, Hey, you sent me this postcard. What's it mean? I'm like, well, you should check it out because now I, you know, I, we found babysitters. I mean, that peer to peer where it's a level away from a Facebook, right? Yeah. Where yeah. it's, it's, it's very hyper local. You know who your neighbors are. It's, it's yep. bringing people who are, who are so separated because of technology together with technology. It's just, I, I love it. I think it's, uh, it's there. Talk about a disruptor. Those guys are posed to be big disruptors. Totally. Totally. All right. We're going to, we're going to shift into what we call the last three. These are really questions about, you know, uh, and to just help our listeners get to know you a little, little bit better. 
Um, so you're really at the top of the game. You've been at this a little while now. Uh, I'm curious, what are you reading? Uh, what books, pod, or uh, blogs, news sites, what do you read to stay sharp? So, well, one thing I read is uh, Minterbox. I don't know if you're familiar with Minterbox. Yep. Uh, it's, it's great because you can get the synopsis of right now I'm doing uh, how, to, how to do TED Talks on, on Minterbox. I was just at a, uh, I was just at a uh, mastermind and uh, we, I, we always at this mastermind, we bring books, just random books that we have and put on the table. So what I'm reading right now is, whoops, <laughs> I don't know what happened here. Uh, John Maxwell, the leader within. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I try to read a lot. I listen to probably more podcasts and reading is another disruption that's happening right now. Uh, my kids, they read, but they listen to podcasts all the time. And the podcast is becoming very, very, uh, very popular. And so I listen to podcasts. I listen to podcasts on Interbox. Um, I've read a ton of books. I, I love to read uh, philosophy books and kind of go old school and, and take those lessons um, from that were written you know, many, many years ago and, and put them into today's world. So, yeah, that's good. Um, so then, uh, how about this? Who are you currently learning from? Who am I currently learning from? It's interesting. In your life, personally, uh, online. I, you know, being that I, uh, I've done a couple of things here locally in town, uh, because I travel and I don't live, I don't work here. Uh, I've had to get involved in some different groups, and one of them is I, I live in a, in a mountain town, and so they have uh, a lot of the. Uh, there's a ton of uh, veterans that have lost limbs. It's it's unbelievable. The number is 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 insane because the battlefield technology is better, so they've saved more lives, but there's been more disabled veterans, and so we've done some things with uh, the Stars Group uh, in Steamboat where. Just, I just went to a fundraiser recently and just learning from the perseverance of people who've, who've lost and, and keep fighting. I, I, it's amazing. And I've learned a lot from the different companies that we've acquired because every acquisition we do uh, is something that I'm intimately involved with. And I get to learn from these entrepreneurs and how they operate their business. And, uh, you know, I try to consume lots of information and ideas and and uh you know just i just today was uh reading a lot about how to how to do a ted talk and was learning a ton about that about storytelling and and just mm-hmm. um i love to learn a lot of different things uh, learn a lot from having these conversations so um there's not any one person um but i i try to you know try to keep myself open to everything i shoot i learn a lot from my seven-year-old daughter every day so <laughs> that's so cool and, uh, well, last one here, what keeps you inspired? Uh, well, being uh, fortunate enough to do what I do and live where I want to live, that alone keeps me very inspired. Um, I, you know, I'm inspired by my children every day, obviously. Uh, and I'm inspired to just be, be involved in a changing environment and a disruptive, uh, uh, you know, industry that uh, it just inspires, it inspires me to share with other people to have, uh, have intimate conversations 
Um, it's something that we were talking about. We were just at a, at an event recently and, uh, you know, somebody mentioned that I wasn't talking to a lot of people, but I was having really long conversation and was that effective? And I think it's very effective because if you can connect with somebody, they're going to be your best advocate. And so I like to be able to connect rather than having the quantity, I'd rather have the quality. And it's a cliche, but it's very true. And a lot of people focus on their networking and how they get around, uh, you know, doing even what I'm doing. Um, it's not about, you know, me having conversations with 100 people today. It's me having conversations, a few key um, effective, uh, you know, real conversations. And those will take you a lot further and touch a lot more people. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally uh, align with that. I, I love that last point. Well, Noel, that... That brings us to the end. Um, th this was, I think this is one of my favorite episodes up till now. I don't want to put anyone else down, but this has just been so good. I really appreciate the in-depth uh, uh, way that you answer just about every question. And, and uh, that's just greatly appreciated. Before we go, I want to give our listeners the opportunity and maybe those watching the video, um, I want to give them the opportunity to connect with you and learn more about Renner's Warehouse. So where, where are the places and ways that they can get connected to you and learn about Renner's Warehouse? Uh, so Renner's Warehouse website is uh, Renner's Warehouse, renterswarehouse.com. Uh, I think probably the best way to connect with me uh, rather than email is probably on LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn user. I, I connect with a lot of people on LinkedIn and I do actually spend a lot um, – Several, four or five times a week, I spend time talking to other property managers and entrepreneurs on, on different uh, ideas on how to grow their business and how to, uh, for free, by the way, on, on how to, uh, you know, align their company to be acquired by a company like ours or somebody else, or if they want to acquire other companies, how we look at it. And so I, I'm an open book with that. Um, people can book on my calendar right from LinkedIn. Um, so it's... Uh, LinkedIn. And so you can search me. Uh, I think my, it's just Noel Christopher on LinkedIn. So just, uh, just as it is Noel Christopher on LinkedIn. So yeah, we'll, put a, we'll put a link in the show notes so that'll make it nice and easy for anybody sure. uh, to be able to find you. And uh, well, Hey, Noel, thanks so much for the time. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be in touch. Hopefully we'll find each other at a, a local event and, and can catch up in person. And thanks, everybody, for listening to today's show. And uh, until next time, we'll see you then. All right. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the TechNest podcast. Hey, don't forget, you can get on the email list. You never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T-E-C-H-N-E-S-T dot I-O. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the App Store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.